Hello and welcome to the Week in Review. We're going back to a more traditional format today. Those who have been uh, crazy enough to have, have sticked with us from the very beginning will, will remember the old format, which of course is tied by the, the original uh, membership. So I'm Michael Curzon and I'm joined by SD Wicket. Sam, how are you? Good, Michael. It's, uh, it's a lovely day outside. Uh, not a single cloud in the sky. It's a sunny day and I'm um, feeling good. Great. And we're sat in here doing a bloody podcast. Uh, excellent. Luke, how are you? Yes, the, the, the weather is fine uh, on mine. It, it's fine on all three of our screens because we've all got very white, angelic faces because the sun peering in and we're sitting in here not taking advantage of it. So cheers for that, lads. I, I have been. I, I was outside enjoying the sun today. So uh well, I've, I've been working, but as soon as this is done, I'm going down to, to one of the locals. Um, so all is good. Um, now, the, the first topic we're doing, I, I said about the old format, we used to come in with a story each and discuss them for about 15 minutes. We stopped doing that because we didn't think it worked, but there's quite a lot going on this week, so it helps. It'll probably blend into one general discussion, but we'll, we'll see how it goes on. Anyway, the first one is uh, Brexit, which... How, how many years ago did, did the country vote to leave? About six oh, years ago. Almost six to the day, yeah. Six to the oh, day yeah. next month, yeah. Yeah, and, and just a show of how successful it's been, we're still having to talk about it, still having to talk about the negotiations, um, which I know people say these things take a long time, but we can see with what's happening in Northern Ireland now, I think, that it's not just because these things take a long time. It's because the people, this is the problem with referendums gen, uh, generally, it's because the people who we told to enact this thing that we wanted don't agree with that thing that we want. Uh, they have a completely different mindset about it. They don't care about it. They'd rather it didn't happen um, and are sort of begrudgingly putting it through um, and not very well. And we're seeing that now with, with Northern Ireland. You can tell that the, the government just doesn't understand um, what it is that the Brexiteers actually want to be prioritised in negotiations, but you also see more widely about the Conservative Party that the party just doesn't care about patriotism. Hmm. It's been warning for for months and months and months that it will trigger Article 16 if there isn't any progress made in talks. All reports suggest that there hasn't been any progress and the EU now is pretty much digging in its heels and saying, well, we're at this position, we're happy here, we're not going to move. So it's down to you. So why aren't we triggering, especially now, as we're seeing uh, Sinn Féin getting uh, more control in, in Northern Ireland. There's increasing risks and increasing uh, alarms being rung that essentially Northern Ireland has been annexed um, with, with certain, certain um, parts within the, the protocol um, and that it could spell the end if this continues and frustration continues to mount to the end of the UK. So this isn't a small topic. This isn't, you know, we're not talking about percentage points of trade or uh, some minor tariff but actually the, the very makeup of, of the place in which we live. Hmm. Um, so what's your take on this? Is this? Do you think Article 16 will be triggered? Should it be triggered? Uh, or does our government just not really know what it's doing? Well, I, I think the, the debate around Article 16 is, is merely a symptom. I think it's, let's go back to the deeper problem. Um, I think what what's happened in the last couple of years has exposed the true nature of power, which is that, you know, on the surface when it first happened, Brexit seemed to have been, you know, an organic top-up um, attack yeah. on power. I think what, we, what we've learned uh, increasingly over the last couple of years is that power is and always will be top-down. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's very telling um, when you hear uh, Boris Johnson's, you know, his story about how, you know, he, he grappled with himself for weeks and weeks to 
and eventually came to the conclusion that he was going to back uh, the Leave campaign. I don't think well, what what I think what I think I've learned recently is that he wasn't grappling with you know is leaving the best thing for the UK. He's no. grappling with is is backing Leave the best thing for his career. Yeah, it it destabilized the party to the point where he was able to come back from the political wilderness um, of you know being sent down to the London mayoral ship, um, and then sort of was able to take charge of the party. Um, well, it's quite telling, isn't it? I think what he was grappling with was, can I, do I favour being in a good position over my principles? Can I basically shove aside my principles in order to get power? And the answer to the question in the end was yes. Yeah, um, yeah. and also, 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 yes, he can, he can reconcile too. Yes. Because, I mean, in his position as, as prime minister, he's done nothing but cosy up to other members of, of, that, of that same set, you know, Um and, and also, I mean, another thing, and we've gone into this, you know, a billion times on the show is, you know, how in 11 years of, of Tory rule, there's not been a single effort to um, even remotely undermine the legacy of Tony Blair. You know, right. this, this exposes um, something much deeper where, you know, um, one of the real um, uh, crimes of the Blair administration was devolution, right? And, and since day one, it has incrementally fragmented the UK and now threatens to end it completely. You know, um, and you know, and and also the the Northern Ireland Protocol, you know, was you know um, signed by Blair, and it was it was essentially um, his sort of ha- yeah, it was his half-hearted way of sort of declaring you know victory and over the IRA. But really, what happened was um, we agreed to power sharing with a fundamentally anti-British um, group with the IRA and, and Sinn Fein, that their political arm. You know, the fact the fact that a group dedicated almost solely to the breaking up of the uk was allowed to stay in operation after the military convert you know so like hitchin says you know just proves that the ira won overall you know because they're getting exactly what they want Mm. um and i think the the, one of the main stories too is is the fact that there's now increasing pressure from the us on the uk to you know keep to that agreement which you know does not serve us well at all and um it's just you know it's, it's it's another thing too that when you I think when you mature into um, reactionary thinking, you realize that the you know the quote unquote special relationship is just a is just a rat trap. No, it's complete nonsense. Yeah, it's just you know, shut up and do what you're told. Follow us into this war and just you know just it just take your vassalage. Yeah, the, the special relationship was just was just literally born out of both world wars, which America entered into so we could pay off our debts. Yeah, after the victory, that was that was that, and of course the US with their, I mean even before. Article 16 Brexit was even a thing. Americans were meddling in Northern Ireland. I mean, of course, plenty of uh, Americans are of Irish descent and did have some um, strong feelings in favour of the IRA. Some American companies even backed the IRA financially. And of course, Bill Clinton, a uh, president of a nation 4,000 miles away across the Atlantic, thought he'd sharp in Belfast for a, a peace talk. Uh, as I, I don't recall a um, you know, unionist gang is bombing the New York Stock Exchange at all, but hey, that's that's what the uh, the Americans are. And Joe Biden is, as he's as he said to the British press, he is Irish. I thought he was American, but apparently he's Irish, mm. and uh, that's why they um, take the side uh, of um, Sinn Fein and against the UK. Mm. And uh, the, the well, the debate over Article 16 itself should be a no-brainer, really. Northern mm. Ireland is part of the UK, mm. and you cannot have this border split, this border strewn across the Irish Sea. Mm. And uh, that, that, that whole thing was put in place generally 
sort of the UK government's arms twitched into into that because oh violence could spark up again. The uh, the Republicans wouldn't be too happy if you did that. Well, did the reverse. And the unionists, their own people, are not happy about the situation, which is why earlier last year there were um, very violent riots and cars being blown up in um, Belfast. Yeah. And it's it's it is a very messy situation. And I think the reason why Article is still in place generally is that number one, the Tories are all talk and no walk, which we yeah. see through every election cycle. And the second is they are completely cowardly. Yes, Article removing Article sixteen yeah. through direct through directive is going to cause a backlash of some sort yes Sinn Féin are going to be very very upset but just tough tough decisions need to be made yeah just one point on this which shows just how 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 ignorant I think really the the government is uh, in its negotiation position how how little it knows about what's going on um we are by the way being led in all this by Liz Truss a former liberal democrat who I think was was better suited to that party um, and of course, a Remainer. Um, is that w- when we talk about Northern Ireland, one of the problems of the protocol is that goods being moved from Britain to Northern Ireland, that is from one part of the UK to another part of the UK, now have to undergo checks. Trade within our own country has to undergo checks. It's ludicrous. But at the same time, the, the EU appears unwilling to move on this. At the same time, in negotiations on Gibraltar, because Gibraltar wasn't involved in the, the UK-EU withdrawal agreement. They wanted to do a separate agreement on that, basically because of Spain pushing for it, from what I know. Um, the EU is proposing in Gibraltar talks that um, Spain and Gibraltar, goods moving between, don't have to be checked. So the, the, the EU is forcing us to have checks on our own goods moving with our own, within our own country. But when it comes to Gibraltar, Gibraltar and Spain, they've got less of a problem with it, which I think shows sort of a level of hypocrisy. And also the important point about this is that Gibraltar talks actually are going quite smoothly, uh, despite the fact a lot of Brexiteers are unhappy about it, that being one of the points that they're unhappy with. Um, it just shows the, the, the people leading these negotiations don't actually believe in Brexit. Um, otherwise, they'd be uptight about what's happening in Gibraltar too. Um, and um, the strong point is that the Conservative and Unionist Party doesn't really believe in Northern Ireland being part of the UK. I mean, Churchill tried to use it as a bargaining chip to the, to the Republic. He said to the, uh, the president, hey, join the war against Germany and we'll give you Northern Ireland. Mm. And uh, luckily the, um, the, uh, the president said no, because he didn't want to you know, send thousands of these young men to die in a war. Mm. And well, so that's, that's, that's what the Tories mindset is. Tories just viewed Northern Ireland as just dependent, almost parasitic, and want it just out of its way as soon as it can really of course it can't openly declare that it doesn't care about northern ireland mm. and that's exactly the, the general feeling it's certainly felt by a lot of unionists mm. in the north as well also i think a, a, a big part of the site the psyche of of you know uh, major european economies like france and germany and individuals like uh, giva hofstadt is this sort of notion of revenge against the uk for oh, yeah voting to leave you know there's a real you know indignation there's a real like you know real sort of vicious um response in that and like i think it's very telling that um movement and trade between the uk and portugal has gone pretty much unhampered by this because you know uh the two have, have quite a good faith relationship um so we're, we're, we're quite close to the point where it's easy to do trade with bloody portugal than it is to do with northern ireland mm. yeah no it is it is silly um it, it's 
And it, it just doesn't seem, despite all these warnings, I mean, warnings are really hotting up at the minute. The EU is also threatening a sort of trade war if, if Article 16 is triggered. Um, I mean, it will but, lose it, but okay. Yeah, but very little is actually happening in all this. Um, there's a lot of a lot of talk going on, but very little in the way of action. Um, so it will be interesting to see how it plays out, but I can't say I'm very, not very optimistic about the, the form the talks are likely to take. I think mm. we're going to end up ceding ground. Uh, and of course, it'll be claimed as some sort of victory and some sort of be- Brexit success, but I'm sure the reality will be far different from the, the picture that's painted. And also, quickly before we move on, I mean, there is a wider discussion about devolution as, as a whole. As I mentioned at the top of it, I mean, I mean, with the exception of the Welsh, I mean, um, the the Scots and Northern Irish are, you know, devolution was, you know, ostensibly it was to. Um, uh, allay you know um separatist sentiments to by by appeasing them but again you know we, we have these people and it's the same with you know the, the progressive movement where you can't appease them well that's a good point yeah. nothing you ever do will appease them you know all all it's done is it's turned so take scotland right all it's done is turn scotland into a hostile welfare state essentially mm. you know on the on the northern border who who you know rely on England so much for their welfare system, yet show nothing in the way of gratefulness in return. And it's just hostility. I mean, there's a story uh, I was telling yesterday about, about people who had been in Scotland for a month were, were able to vote in the local elections, you know. Um, Scotland's voting laws are so lax, are so liberal that um, they can just they can just pack the vote system, you know. Um, they, they allowed refugees who just got off the boat to vote. Yeah. Literally, that destroys the entire notion of citizenship because the, the, these people, from whatever situation they have come from, haven't exactly fully contributed enough to the nation to be able to have a say in its laws and customs. But that's what the SNP do. And of course, these refugees on camera said they voted for the SNP. Oh, why? Because they gave us the vote. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, if you're going to claim power, it's purely rational, isn't it? Nicola Sturgeon just hit the bingo jackpot there. Mm. But it's not really conduit to a functioning country hmm. no well speaking yeah. of a, a, a non-functioning country shall we go on to the have you got one more point to make or should we go on to cost of no, living? Let's, let's move along yeah cost of living then um which is the next topic we've, we've mentioned it a few times there's a good piece online on Bournemouth today by collingwood um which argues that sort of any um any sort of political outlook or, or policy proposal at the minute that doesn't look into the cost of living, that doesn't consider the impacts that it's going to have is um, sort of anathema. It's, it's, um, it, it's looking over what the main problem is um, and ought to be challenged. It's, it's something which I think is probably a lot bigger, actually, than the topic of the Northern Ireland Protocol for most voters. Um, also a lot bigger than Partygate, definitely, and Beergate, oh, yeah. which gets the press coverage. But actually, people are more concerned about the fact their energy bills are going up massively, the fact that food is costing them more uh, and they've got the less dispensable income. Um, we, uh, not, not to mention sort of house costs and, and all this, which mm-hmm. makes younger people uh, ever more, well, despaired, I suppose. Just, there's just no, there's no possible outlook of the fact of, of getting a house. You, you hear these stories from your parents who, who told of how they managed to get the first buy in the early 20s and you think, crikey. How is that possible? Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, there's, um, I think it, it, it's going down a dark path because there is ultimately, you know, there's a very big difference between the rising cost of fuel and the rising cost of food, you know, hmm. 
um, rising cost of fuel, people, yeah, people will be angry, people will be needing, but rising cost of food, that's when people will literally like take the streets and they will get what they need, they need to survive. Yeah. And that's, um, that's a dark path to go down. When we learned this from decades and centuries gone by, when the economy goes to hell in a hay basket, it, it gets very, very interesting and also very, very chaotic mm. and turmoil hits the fan. Literally, in any time there's been a major economic crisis in Europe's history, be it 1648, be it the French Revolution, be it the Great Depression, it, politics has always taken a very nasty turn. Weimar Germany. Yeah, Weimar Germany. Yeah. Yeah. And I think going on on the um, take your point about the press curse, and I think the press has been absolutely disgraceful in um, in this coverage of the um, the cost of living crisis. And because I know um, you can tell what the real news is, because if it's in the, the middle sheet, and that's where the um, the cost of living's been. The headlines have been beer gate. I think the Daily Mail's got a, a running tally of how many days it's covered it. I think about twenty five at this point. Oh. The Wagatha Christiathon. Oh my Christ! Do not care, and oh no, City's going to win another Premier League title. That's that's what's occupying the minds of the uh, the, the laptop commentariat class. Yeah. And, and it, of course, it, it, it's a class that's not going to be really affected by it, increased fuel bills or food bills or yeah, childcare. Yeah, none of it because they they live in London and they they get the ship. It was the same as it, as the. Um... Yellow vest in France, where you know the the fuel tax bill didn't affect Parisians because they had the metro. What affected yeah, yeah. was was you know people who you know um, the yellow vest was symbolic of the French industrial class who need cars to get to work because they work they live in the rural rural parts of the country. Um, and also, I think this is going to have like a radicalizing effect on you know regular people where you know because like not everyone you know like you know we'll we'll get into these calls and we'll, we'll talk about you know. Um, Sort of slightly more esoteric themes. People, you know, people in the pub at the, at the darts club aren't going in there talking about, you know, elite theory and that sort of thing. They're going in there saying, "I can't afford. I have to pick between, you know, buying this week's shop and keeping the house warm." Mm. Well, despite us talking about elite theory, we do talk an awful lot about our own personal circumstances. I mean, Matt had the job before I was unfairly dismissed. I had to drive down to Royston every day. Now that was a good 35, 40 minute drive. Uh, I'd, ha- I'd have to fill up the car at least once a week to the tune of about 50 quid hmm. it's awful it was yeah. like an extra tax it is an extra tax it's also unpaid time as well because you know i'm not getting paid to travel to and from work no well let's yeah let's not start on the unpaid time for going to work but um yeah no it's um it is one of those where Again, it's just starting out. This this is one of the problems I think with with not just press coverage but also attention span these days is that you say with Russia and Ukraine, coverage of it has actually gone massively downhill now. It's it's sort of the second and third story rather than the the top story as it was for a few weeks. I think we've almost peaked with the cost of living story. I mean, it had to be mentioned when it had to be mentioned. But in terms of public interest, one of the worries that I've got is that the topic is itself already dying uh, in terms of an interesting topic Pe- people are far less interested in it now uh, but actually the topic gets more and more important as the days go on um so it'll, it'll be interesting to see whether there is a revival in that because it's something that does need to be strongly highlighted i think the politicians need to have this put to them quite often uh so that they know that people really do care about it rather than spend the whole time doing press conferences on on whether or not they they worked after they drank a beer last year 
not that I don't think that's important, because um, I do think it's important. It is sort of at the centre of whether or not our politicians have in, any integrity. But politicians also need to have um, sort of a, or should have, I suppose, I should say, an understanding of the, the issues the public are currently facing. And this is the primary one. Mm -hmm. So it, it really is something we need to, to keep on going on about. Uh, I think also Whitehall and Boris has been put in a very um, difficult situation, a rock and a hard place, because most of the cost of living ain't really the government's fault. I mean, yeah, yeah there was the two years of global lockdowns, but there are still sort of butterfly effects going on now and just general external factors coming into play. I mean, Collingwood's article today noted the um, the droughts affecting wheat harvests across the world. And also the fact that uh, China, the factor of the world, is still in these totalitarian zero COVID lockdowns. Mm. And um, yeah, we'll, be, we'll be seeing, you know, time doesn't stand still, nor does the world. More and more issues will crop up as time goes by. That's true, but I think the government does bear a lot of responsibility. As you say, two years of lockdowns. Um, now with the war in Ukraine, we're sending, can I say billions? I'm pretty sure it is. Well, the, 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 the US government decided to send 40 billion, right? Yeah. That'd be so, nice. Yeah, well, it wouldn't, wouldn't be bad, would it? Um, so I think, you know, whether or not they caused all the problems in the first place, they've certainly made them very much worse uh, than they would otherwise be with the with the decisions they've taken. And this isn't just an out of the blue thing. It's not like we locked down and then went, oh, crikey, this, this might actually cost a lot of money. Uh, we, we might actually be in some problem now. People were, were shouting this from the very beginning, from the first day. Uh, and the same with Russia, Ukraine, we're questioning, why are we getting this involved? We shouldn't be getting this involved in something that far away. We've now said that we'll, we'll go to Finland's and Sweden's defense if they're attacked. Well, yeah, history repeating itself much. Um, us and us and what army? Well, yeah, that. I mean, I, I'm certainly wouldn't go and fight in that because it's it's nothing to do with us. Why? Why are we? It's one of them sort of classic backroom deals where the politicians announce what's what, and then uh, and then a war starts and we're all drafted in. You think, well, hang on a minute. When did we say we're going to go and fight if Finland's attacked? <laughs> I'm not doing that. Bollocks to you. Hmm. Um, Sorry. Well, also, but, as, as history will tell you, they can kind of handle themselves. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, I, it is pretty clear that it was made as a sort of empty, nice sounding, but empty promise because it's it's not going to happen. Well, let's hope it doesn't happen anyway. I mean, certainly the promise wouldn't be made at the minute for Ukraine. Um, not that it should be, by the way, um, but that, that just goes to show what sort of, again, what sort of calibre politician we have. They make promises they know they don't need to keep. And on the first topic, Brexit was a promise that Boris knew he didn't have to keep, only he didn't know it and he ended up being wrong. He only, he only went for remain, uh, sorry, leave, because uh, Freudian slip, because he thought it would lose and would become the martyr and then possibly take over the leadership. I'm almost certain that's the case. Um, if he actually knew Leave would win, uh, he might have done something quite different. Hmm. Um, so he took over Leave because there was a sort of a vacuum of power, as it were. There was just Nigel Farage, and that was it. And of course, he wasn't officially a part of anything affiliated with the Leave campaign. No, they and um, yeah, so Boris wound up in charge. Hmm. Yeah. Well, um, the last topic then just to show what, what a varied show we've got today, uh, is US-based. It was discussed last week, I think. I've not actually had a chance to listen to last week's. Um, I normally do listen when I, when I don't join in. But I, I do remember you saying before that this is the one that would get us cancelled. Um, we are still here. 
Um, no, to be fair, I didn't say cancelled. I said arrested under the 2003 Communications Act. But yeah, more all right, that's all right then. No problem. We'll just uh, we'll go and hang out with Julian for a bit, Mr. Assange. Um, so go on. What's what's this one? I think Luke, you wanted to raise this topic. So yeah. So it's a continuation of me and Wicket's conversation of last week about the um, the oh, likely gosh. overturning of Roe versus Wade in the United States. And Roe versus Wade was a judgment laid down in 1973, which legalized abortion across the United States. And it's been a hot button issue in the States ever since. And uh, now, as the, uh, the judges, majority of the conservative, it um, has decided that it doesn't want have a, it doesn't want any more to do with Roe versus Wade and is considering overturning it. And I mean, as I said last week, abortion does not exist in the US Constitution at all. 14th Amendment does not even implicitly imply that. Hmm. And uh, so, long story short, long story short, the, uh, the majority... What is the 14th Amendment? It's the, uh, the right to privacy and the unabridged right of person to life, liberty and property and all that. And people think that that one provides within it the right to abortion. I've not heard that. Well, it, it doesn't provide to right within it because that's, that's, that's the point they're making. That's the point they're making, right? Okay. Also, yeah. as Luke just said, you have the right to life. Yeah, the unabridged right. I mean, it was brought in after the Civil War to um, sort of rectify the uh, the Three Fifths Compromise. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And Sorry uh, to interrupt. That's all right. And uh, so I'm bringing up another amendment here. The first amendment, the right to, of the people to peacefully assemble. Now, peacefully is not what these uh, protesters, these peaceful protesters have been doing. They have, is the case with all US judiciary decisions, the, uh, the left have just engaged in political partisanship on the streets and just pure bona fide intimidation, mm. just with the purpose of getting their own way. And uh, this started with um, them shouting outside at, angry mob shouting outside the homes of justices which under the u.s code is illegal i've got the uh the, um, the boring judgment here whoever with the intent of interfering with obstructing or impeding the administration of justice or with the intent of influencing any judge juror witness or court officer in the discharge of his duty picket or parades in or near a building house a court of the united states or in or near a building or residence occupied or used by such judge now, uh, so what the process is doing, it's clearly legal, but as the establishment, you know, the executive, the media are all on their side, nothing's going to happen. And even the White House press secretary, Jen Paskey, said that the Biden White House encourages people to pick it outside people's homes. Yeah. And I mean, um, it, it's, it just shows that, that to these people, there are no bad tactics, just bad targets. I mean, um, it's the, cost. The, the rod that they beat the american right with on a daily basis is you know jan sick obviously um whereas you know you take take someone like uh laurie lightfoot who i believe is the mayor of chicago who tweeted that um that uh, they should carry on and there should be a call to arms right which is just mm -hmm. an open call for violence towards the american judiciary uh the same people were you know cheering on riots and in, in in the summer of 2020 um and they you know, they cite you know Trump's speech um, at the Capitol before it was stormed, and if you actually look at that speech, he said nothing remotely as inflammatory as this should be a call to arms. Yeah. Um, people are openly and you know they are openly calling for violence against the American judiciary to get what they want, and they they're fine with that because again, um, they I mean. To their credit, they they understand the friend enemy distinction, you know, which is you know the the only 
iron law of politics is friend good enemy bad doesn't matter what's happening or what it is you know it's okay when we do it yeah. and, and the it, iron law of human nature yeah it's it's just exposed the the, the utter psychopathy of the liberal mind mm. i mean yeah i've seen this on social media recently with the blue check mark class very unhinged people been openly calling for violence and intimidation against the judges and the raison d'etre is well you're taking our rights away now it's time we deal with you They're very gangster tactics mm. and um okay uh, intimidating the judiciary and the judges are nothing new i mean written house they went all guns blazing on that and uh, with the appointment of uh justice kavanaugh and justice amy coney barrett who was trump's appointees uh well kavanaugh they uh falsely accused as being a gang rapist and had no evidence to prove it yeah, and yeah. amy coney barrett they called her racist for hire for adopting a black kid that was incredible is she the one who's got like seven or so children well, yeah yeah uh, she she adopted um yeah she's adopted five she's adopted of them, I think. Children. right yeah and what she was called racist for the fact well, that she was one basically of the children are black i think the, the whole white the whole... savior sort of idea the, yeah. the, the whole angle of her congressional interrogation was um, to what extent is your uh, Christian faith incompatible with liberal humanism, essentially? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I know when she was giving her one of her statements to the testimony, she used the phrase sexual orientation. And that night, Miriam Webster changes the definition to note that it's discriminatory. And the day later, Amy Coney Barrett is brought up for that. <laughs> it's so not to, not to use Orwell again, but Orwellian. I mean, it's it's it's, it's, yeah. it's 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 Animal Farm this time. It's the changing rules on the uh, on the wall, isn't it? Yes, right. yes, yeah. cool. Um, well, we're yeah. stuck in road to Wigan here. Right. Um, so it's no, it is a. It, what I always think with this um, is that can you imagine if it was this debate in the UK, how quickly it would be over? I mean, it does uh, people always say you know politics is still alive in the US. Uh, the US is more conservative. And often you think, well, is it really? This is one of the topics, I think. This is one of the key values topics uh, where you, you look and think, actually, this is alive and well. Uh, you know, there's, fine, there's a lot of negative things going on, protesting, which is going too far. But you, you, the fact that there's a debate in the first place is itself quite impressive. It's good to see. Um, it's encouraging, I suppose you could say. Um, and... and equally despairing that you know if the debate were held in this country within seconds you'd have nobody not a single politician who would come out uh, or paper that would come out and say actually there's something in this maybe this uh, maybe this goes too far let's perhaps reconsider hmm. um you'd never have it even those who are against it would say oh well i'm only against it personally <laughs> in terms of law making i'll i'll be all in favor of it my part yeah i'll stand on a, a party policy of making this an easily accessible uh, and overused platform no problem but personally i think it's horrendous i think it's a sin um right that's great um the sort of jacob reese mog effect mm. where you can you can think that something is horrendous but do nothing about it and and yeah. sort of think that you've done a good job yeah the the uh, tory credo I don't like it. Yeah. I, don't like, I don't like it, but that's how it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, so th that that is also an argument. You know, and people always say, "Oh well, we should actually keep the Conservative Party and make our way inside it, and we can change it from within." Well, surely that shows it just doesn't happen. Uh, you have someone like Jacob Rees-Mogg, who is a, a Catholic, go inside, and what does he do? Well, he does exactly what he's told to do. 
um, and he he holds the views he's supposed to hold. Uh, and nothing. Well, you, you're going to need to appease the views of those above you. Now you climb up the grease pile so far, you're going to find someone who's uh, doesn't know how many children he has, cheated yeah. on his missus during lockdown. Yeah, <laughs> it's, these are the people you're going to need to appease to get your you know true radical right revolution. So all, all the best convincing the the Tory wets. That's true. Boris might be really quite out of luck if abortion were were made more difficult. <laughs> there are allegations. I say allegations just so we don't get sued that he paid for abortions to be facilitated or an abortion i should say but i don't know if that's true or not um something maybe worth looking into but i have certainly seen it being reported somewhere uh, so yeah that's that's the the livelihood of the debate in this country where uh with the leader of the uh the party which you would have thought would be uh in favor of the sort of brett kavanaugh position but actually no rather it isn't which Maybe a note on which to end, a nice cherry note, uh, as we, we always like to end on. Um, so thanks, everybody, for listening. And we hope that you join us again next week. Cheers. <laughs>